It is great to see you today. How many of you have an opinion? How many of you have about 50 opinions on everything? You know, someone told me years ago, opinions are like ears. Most people have two and uh, are a couple, and there's no doubt about that. And we're going to talk again this morning about marriage and divorce. And I bet you have an opinion on this subject. I certainly do. But the bottom line is, the truth is, is my opinion's not what's important. And, and I don't mean to offend you, but really and truly, your opinion's not that important either, ultimately. We need to see what God says on the subject. See what God says on the subject. We're in Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. We were in Mark 10 last week, a two-part series on marriage and divorce. And we, uh, we've got the CD from the early service, and last week we're... Uh, you can purchase those on the way out. I believe there's a table up front, and Melissa's holding up one right there uh, in the middle for everyone to see. Thank you, Melissa. Our out front, we're selling them for $50. I get a $49 kickback on that. I'm just kidding. They're $5. But uh, if you want a copy of last week and this week together, you can have it, Marriage and Divorce. This Sunday, we're going to start with this. I don't think I'm getting paid enough, by the way, to have to deal with this and to deal with what I'm going to be preaching on tonight. Come back tonight if you really want to hear an interesting subject, too, about falling away and all that. It's, it's pretty interesting. But marriage and divorce, number one, what are the biblical reasons for divorce? What are the biblical reasons that God lays out for divorce? Now, Mark chapter 10, we're going to start and we're going to read verse 1 through 5. It says, Jesus then left that place and he went to the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him and as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2, some Pharisees came and tested him. That's very important there, you catch that. Asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But this was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Now, a little context, a little background is important. Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem for the final get-go. He's headed to Jerusalem. Uh, He's going to be crucified and he's going to rise again. And while he is in the area where Herod Antipas, a bad guy, who just killed someone recently for their view on marriage or divorce, uh, reigned, these Pharisees come to him. Now, guys, listen to me. It says they, they ask him a question trying to trap him. They were not interested in what Jesus really had to say. Are you following me? They didn't really care what Jesus had to say. They knew what they believed, and they didn't want to be confused by the facts. They were just trying to put Jesus in a bind where he'd get in trouble with the Herod, the, the, the governor, the leader, or with the people. And I want to ask you this morning, before we dive into this, do you really want to hear what God has to say? Many of us are like concrete. We are thoroughly mixed up and firmly set in place. I want to encourage you this morning to be open to hear what God has to say. And, and I want you to do this every week, obviously, but stay with me the whole sermon because I'm going to have to say some things today from the Bible that are really tough. And if you, if you leave at some point midway through the sermon, you may be mad at me. If you're going to be mad at me, that's fine. But hear the whole sermon and be mad at me at 10 till 12, not at 1135, okay? So the background here, Jesus, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. And 
Matthew is a sister passage. Matthew 19 is the, the sister passage of this, and it expounds a little more on some things. In verse 19, chapter 19, verse 3 of Matthew, some Pharisees came to test him, the same thing. They ask him, Matthew tells us a little more in detail what they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? It's pretty significant. Now, they were holding on to Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. It, this passage goes 21, 24, verse 1 through 4, but we're going to just look at verse 1. This was the one they debated, and they were kind of testing Jesus on. And it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and gives it to her and sends her away from his house. Brian, leave that there for a second. There were two schools of thought in Jesus' day, two rabbis who, who kind of dominated the philosophical and theological landscape. One was called Shama, Rabbi Shama. His view of this becomes displeasing and does something indecent meant that your wife, now the, the, the man didn't have a lot of, uh, didn't, uh, the woman didn't have a lot of rights in this day. Bad deal. So he's saying here, if the woman did something indecent, the Shama school said that indecent men are displeasing men that she committed adultery or there was some kind of sexual violation in the marriage. Now, the most popular school of thought was from Rabbi Hilla. Rabbi Hilla said this, that when she does something displeasing and indecent, I'm not being flippant and I'm not making this up, that that could mean that she burns the toast, so you divorce her. It literally could mean that you feel like your wife now looks plain so you can divorce. Wouldn't you love that conversation? Honey, I was just thinking, you look kind of plain and I'm going to get me another one. It also meant if you saw someone you thought was better looking than your wife, wouldn't that be uncomfortable, honey? You're at the mall and he comes back and says, you know what, over there by the, in the food court, I'm sorry, I'm gone, you're out of here. For any and every reason, if you thought that she was disrespectful to your parents, you could divorce her for any and every reason. That's the background that Jesus is addressed in and that he's fixing to speak from. Now, I said this last week. In Jesus' day, they treated marriage and divorce more carelessly than we do, if you can imagine that. In Jesus' day, one of the, uh, a contemporary of Jesus, a Christian leader named Justin, is called Justin the Martyr, Justin the martyr said it was not uncommon for a Jewish man to have four or five wives during their life. That either meant polygamy, you had four or five at the same time, or that you, you married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. There's actual legal records dating back to Jesus' time of a lady who had eight husbands in five years. How many of you believe she had some relational issues? Would you agree with that? I hope so. Another lady, they have record, was married 10 times in her life, 10 different husbands. You know, at husband 8 or 9, do you really believe her when she says, until death do I part? Amen. I mean, really and truly, 10 times. So that's the context that Jesus is, is, is living in. That's the world he's living in when he is asked these things. Now, Understanding that, let's look at his view. Now, I want to say one other thing before we look at, the, at some of the things he says about divorce and marriage. These are standards for Christians. You cannot hold a lost person accountable for saved people's standards. That makes sense? Listen, if you've got an atheist that lives down the street from you, don't get mad at them for not going to church. 
why they won't even help out in Bible school and they don't give any money? Of course they don't. They don't believe in God yet. Don't expect a lost person to be held accountable for saved people's standards. Does that make sense? Give me some affirmation that that makes some sense, okay? It should, because when you become a Christian, you become a new person. These are standards for saved people. Here's the first thing he says. Flippant divorce and remarriage is seriously wrong. Now, the first four rows in front of me here, well, get back to row, row four, you get into some of the married couples. But the first four, listen, this is why this is so important. I'm not sure growing up we heard this a lot. All we heard was you need to get married, you need to get married one time, and no matter how miserable you are, you stay in it. And there's some good advice in that, but you need to understand where God's coming from before you ever get married. Amen, older people? I mean, and by the way, you're going to date. The chances that you marry someone you date are probably 100%. Okay, so think about all that in context. Jesus says flippant divorce and remarriage is big time wrong. Verse 10 through 12. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Twenty years ago when I was living in Fort Worth, I had a Jewish friend who bought into the old school of the Hilla idea of divorce and remarriage in his view. And when I'd known him, I guess he'd been married four or five times. He was married. He got, him and his wife didn't get along anymore. You just left. You just divorced. I mean, because you could divorce him for any and every reason. Wasn't any, any big deal. There was actually a Jewish saying in Jesus' day, listen to this, that it is the religious duty of a man to divorce her, his wife if she becomes a bad wife. I guess women, the definition of bad would be very, very important there. If your wife was bad, you should divorce her. And it's in this world, Jesus says, absolutely not. Jesus says, if you divorce your spouse, listen, young people, because you say, well, I just married the wrong person. They become the right person when the preacher says, and now I pronounce you man and wife. Did you know that? It immediately enters into God's will at that. Did you hear me? Because I've heard young people say, oh, I just married the wrong. I was out of God's will. Well, you may have been, but you know what? You became in God's will when, when, when you got married. And Jesus said this nonsense in his day of divorcing your wife because she burned the toast. You found someone prettier. You just don't like each other anymore. He said, there is reasons for divorce we're going to see, but this nonsense that was going on then and that really is creeping back into our world today, he says it's seriously wrong. Here's what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, you are violating your marital oath to your spouse and you are, you are entering into an adulterous relationship by just flippantly divorcing and remarriage. That is powerful, isn't it? Are you uncomfortable yet? I am, and I'm, I've been looking at this all week. This is uncomfortable, but stay with me, okay? What are the reasons for divorce that God lays out for Christian people? Adultery and sexual violations. Adultery and sexual violations. Matthew nine nineteen. Let's look what it says. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, look at this, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, this is very important too. 
marital unfaithfulness, remember the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And the, the, that was one word there for marital unfaithfulness. It was the Greek word pornea. Pornea, where we get our English word, guess what? Pornography from that. Here's what, here's what pornea meant. Pornea included a wide range of sexual sins. Now, we're talking about marriage here, so it will narrow in just a moment as we define it. Pornea meant adultery. Adultery, by definition, is a married person having sex with someone they are not married to. That is adultery. Pornea included fornication. What's fornication? Fornication is a non-married teenager, non-married 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old having sexual relationship with someone, okay? That's what fornication is, all included in this pornea. Pornea included pornography. It included, I don't know back then, looking at stone tablets of things you shouldn't. I don't know. You know what it means today without me going into much definition, don't you? It included homosexuality. It included incest. And so it included all those things. Those are considered sexual sins. Now, obviously, a married person cannot commit fornication anymore because they are married. So for the married person, what, does, what, what was he talking about here? He's talking about adultery. He would be talking about the, the rampant habitual use of pornography, homosexuality, incest. He'd be talking about all those things. Now, guys, let me tell you what I think he's saying. I don't think he's saying here. Well, I think he's saying when you're married and a spouse violates the sexual code in your marriage, they have committed a sin that can break the marriage bond. I I use the word can there. That's very important. Okay? And let me say this, because you need to hear this. Sex, in God's eyes, pornea, is a lot more than just intercourse. And I'm not going to go into any more detail, but I think you're understanding what I'm saying. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You know, we had a president, Dad Gummit, a few years ago who got caught doing some horrible things. And he said, well, this wasn't sex. I want to tell you, it was sex. Here's what Clayton said this week. Where's Clayton? Mary, you'll be proud of him. We were talking about this subject. And Clayton said, well, if Mary walked in and saw me kissing somebody, that would be adultery. And I've known Mary a long time. And it would be a frying pan on his red head, too. (laughs) And I had one of our wonderful older gentlemen after church. He said, you know, I like to hug and kiss the women. I said, keep it on the cheek and you're cool. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. If I come in my house and you are romantically kissing my wife, both of you, both of you have violated me. Amen? Oh, no, that's not adultery. The heck, it is adultery. Don't you play lawyer games with God. Sexual violation is broad for a reason. Now, listen, God's not saying that if your spouse looks at pornography, divorce them. I don't think he's even saying if they commit adultery, divorce them. If you can work it out. He's not giving a command. He's giving a concession. And I think he's also saying if there's a habitual pattern, this continues to go on, you know what? They got a problem that may not be fixed. That's a reason for divorce. Here's the second reason. A non-Christian spouse leaves you. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. But if only the unbeliever, but if the unbeliever leaves him, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstance. God has called us to live in peace. 1 Corinthians 7 is a great chapter about marriage. And, and one of the things it says, it was talking about if, if you had two people, let's say, who aren't Christians, and they get married, and then one of them becomes a Christian, and after a while, the one who's not a Christian says, I don't want this, I'm not going to stay in this, I'm leaving. God, through the whole chapter, God says, you try to make it work, you try to make it work. You may be the key to that non-Christian spouse getting saved, but if the non-Christian spouse just says, I'm gone, then the Christian spouse is free to remarry, okay? Not God's perfect will, God's concession. Here's the last thing, serious threat to human life. Serious threat to human life. If you've counseled much, and I have, and we've got people in this room that have counseled a lot, when you've got, it, normally it's the man uh, against the woman and the children, Certainly there's cases where a woman is physically abusive and dangerous. You've got to have those people separate. And sometimes the only thing that you can do in that situation, there's a divorce. The Bible says every human life is sacred. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about destroying the temple of God. It talks about murder. So you have to take that in consideration. Now, even with those things in consideration, have you noticed the boundaries on marriage and divorce biblically for Christians are pretty narrow, aren't they? Young people, what I want y'all to get hold of today is go into it understanding these things. And it'll help you. It'll scare you straight. It'll scare you away from some bad people that you shouldn't marry. Now, here's, here's, here's the next thing. What do we do moving forward? See, this is why I want you to listen the whole time. Because it, it might be easy to say, you know what? In my life or my family member's life, they have divorced since they've been a Christian maybe once or twice or whatever, and they are shattered. They don't know what to do. You see, Christians, we have, we have, we have not handled this situation well. Death to we part. We've kind of left it at that. I heard a story of a couple. They were 85. They got married when they were 20. They'd been married 65 years. The last 55 years, they fought every day. They were Christians, but they just could not get along. They're 85. Finally, they decided they weren't going to get divorced, but they, finally the wife said, you know, I've had enough. And she told him, she said, listen, I am praying one of us goes on to heaven. I'm praying one of us dies. We're not going to get divorced, but we've been living like this 65 years. There's got to be a change. And when you die, I'm moving to Florida with my sister. Death do we part. <laughs> There's got to be a better answer than that, doesn't there? Let me give you some thoughts on moving forward. Number one, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. See, I grew up as a Baptist, and divorce almost, was next to murder. And here's what we've done. We've gone to one of two extremes. Either we're flipping about it. Oh, she, this is her ninth husband. Isn't he good looking? I hope they're happy. Or either we want to kill people. They're divorced. Let's kill them. Matthew chapter 12 talks about the unforgivable sin. 
It's blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is probably two things in the context there. It's looking at the things God is doing and, and giving the assignment, saying that's of the devil. And it's ultimately rejecting the Holy Spirit. You see, there's people in this room today who've never been divorced who are in serious danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because you've never given your life to Christ. That's unforgivable. Yes, flippant marriage and divorce is tied in with adultery. It's wrong. But I want you to see a passage in Matthew chapter 5 that will scare you straight if you have a tendency to judge other people. Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Okay? But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, women, that's really, that's uh, gender neutral. That'd be you too. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. It'd be funny to see who would have the courage to do it. But I'm going to say, I'm going to throw this out here. Everybody is guilty of that at some point in their life. Close your eyes for a second and just say amen. Okay, you know it's true. So before you judge someone else, I'm not saying flippant marriage and divorce is right. In fact, I'm saying it's very wrong. But I'm saying you've got to be real careful about what you condemn someone else for when the Bible is pointing right back at you and me and our sins. Okay? Most of you in here know who Charles Stanley is. Now, if you like Charles Stanley, stay with me because in a minute I'm going to come back and say something real good about him. About nine or ten years ago, Charles Stanley's pastor of First Baptist Atlanta, Georgia. For years, their policy at their church was if you got divorced, you could not be a deacon or a minister. So if you came to the church, you joined the church, you could never be a minister if you were divorced, you could never be a deacon. Guess what happened? Charles Stanley got divorced. And they changed the rule. <laughs> Now, I'm going, to go, I'm going to come back and address that later in the sermon. But you know what? When I hear that, you know what I think of? I, that's hypocritical. <laughs> I, I you, would you like it if we had a rule that excluded you until I committed the same violation, and then we said, oh, we'll do away with that rule? You see something wrong there? You see, we have been too hard or we have been too soft. Let's find the truth. It's not the unforgivable sin. What else do you do... This morning, you repent. You repent where you need to. Now, this can apply to divorce. It can apply to anything in your life this morning. But all of us have some repenting we need to do of. What if it's about a marriage or a past marriage? What does repentance mean? Some people say, well, if I repent, does that mean I divorce my current spouse and go back to my old spouse? My old spouse doesn't want me. I don't want them. There's no way that can work. I love what Billy Graham said about this. Billy Graham said, you cannot unscramble scrambled eggs. <laughs> Isn't that good? Once you crack it and you throw it in the pan and you start stirring it, you, you cannot put that back in the shell again, can you? Repentance means when it comes to a divorce and a, and a remarriage and failure in these areas, what it means is you get it right with Jesus. Okay? You, I said this last week. You get it right with the other person as much as you can. It may not be possible. They're dead. They're mean. They've got mental problems. Mean people with mental problems, you can't, you can't work things out there. Just stay your distance and pray for them. 
Repentance means you get it right with God, others as you can, and you forgive yourself. That's the third thing. Receive God's forgiveness and love. Maybe today it is with a divorce. Maybe today it's with something else. One of the great words of the Bible is the word grace. You know what the word grace means? It means undeserved, unearned favor. You were saved because you trusted Christ and he had grace towards you. That means that there's nothing you and I could do to earn his favor or earn his love. He just gives it to us. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Receive God's grace and mercy. Now listen to me. You young people in particular, everybody else, don't play with the grace of God, though. Some of you may be in a marriage right now, and it's teetering, and you're going, well, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead. I don't have a reason, but I'm going to divorce them, and I'm going to depend on the grace of God to see me through. Or you're saying as a young person, well, I know I shouldn't date that person, and I shouldn't marry that person, but they're cute. They may be ugly in 10 years. That's what happened to my wife. (laughs) To me, I'm ugly, not her. That was fixing to be biblical grounds, wasn't it? I was talking about me. She married me for my intellect. Smooth tongue. And money. (laughs) Okay, quit laughing. You're hurting my self-esteem. I don't even know where I am now. Okay. Don't play with God's grace. One of the dumbest pieces of advice ever is, well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. That's a way to get fired. That's a way to get divorced. That's a way for God to knock your head off figuratively. Don't play with God's grace. Don't say, don't say, well, I know this is wrong, but God will forgive me. Yes, he will. And you'll have scars up and down your body from your sin. Don't play with God's grace. Girls, don't marry somebody because he's cute. Marry somebody because it's who God wants you to marry. And it's right. Okay? Here's the fourth thing. Decide from this point on. See, all we can do is decide from today that we're going to do marriage God's way. Okay? You say, man, my past is blown and I've messed. Okay, you you can't unscramble the eggs. You can decide to do marriage God's way from this point on. Verse 6 through 9, great, great verses. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man leaves his wife and mother. He's united to his wife. The two become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not Separate. What a great, great verse. Remember what I said last week? Marriage becomes your top relationship. Your, your husband and wife after God is number one. Okay? You two become one. It means you're glued together. You're, you're glued together. You become one. Now, marriage is not easy, is it? No. Greg, you really were going. Andrea couldn't see you. I had to tell on you. No, it's not. You see, dating is easy. Marriage is tough. Marriage is great. It's got a lot more benefits, hopefully. But it's tough. And people don't tell you that, do they? There was a man at the graveyard. 
couples walk through the graveyard and they see a guy at a tombstone and he's got his hand on the tombstone and he's patting the tombstone and he's crying and he's saying, why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? And the couple heard this for about five minutes. Finally, then we need to go check on that guy. So they walked over there and they said, sir, is that your wife? I said, no, no. Is that, that a, a child or a fa- parent? No, no. Well, who is it? That was my wife's first husband. Why did you have to die? Why did you have to die? I normally don't share counseling stories, but I've got to share this one. A few, a few months ago, Brandon and Marcy came in for counseling. You know, sometimes the counselor has to be counseled. And so they're fighting back and forth on the couch. And, and uh, Brandon looks at Marcy in kind of, a, kind of an unbiblical uh, comment. He says, I don't know how God could have made something so pretty and so dumb. And Marcy looks back at him and says, without missing the beat, she said, God made me so pretty so you'd be attracted to me. And God made me dumb so I would be attracted to you. <laughs> and that really didn't happen, by the way. But that is funny. Marriage is hard. So how do you make marriage work? You go into marriage saying, we're going to make it work. Correct? Amendo? Seneca was a philosopher in Jesus' day. This is literally what he said. Only the ugly are loyal. (laughs) Isn't that great? They've been married 50 years. They both must be really ugly. No, only the godly are. Moving forward, this point on, we can't undo the past, can't unscramble the eggs. Decide to do it God's way. You're going to be loyal. When Cindy and I got married, we, one thing we said was we were never going to talk about divorce. See, that's how some couples fight. I'm going to leave you. Well, I'm going to divorce. Why did I marry you? You know, after you hear that about 84 times, you're in agreement. Why did you marry me? I, get divorce out of the equation. But you've got to move beyond that. See, some people say, some people really have a great philosophy that I'm never going to divorce my wife or my husband, but they're just terrible spouses too. You need to have an anchor, but you need to be more than an anchor. You need to be a loving, selfless spouse to that person, okay? Decide to do marriage God's way from this point on, and know this last of all, when we get right with God, he still has great plans for us. See, part of what we've done with divorce in the past is we've dismissed people. We've let them go. We've said, sit in the corner, we love you, but God can't ever use you anymore. That's just not true. Bathsheba, how many know who she is in the Bible, Bathsheba? Must be in a looker. David's on his balcony, and he sees Bathsheba in the bathtub, and bad goes to worse. They commit adultery. David has her husband. They get married completely out of God's will. Serious consequences happened, but David got right with God, and apparently Bathsheba did. They had a son who was the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. You look in Matthew 1, in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, it includes Bathsheba. Isn't that neat? God's not finished with you yet, unless you want him to be. Charles Stanley, I mentioned earlier. Charles Stanley chose, and the church led him to stay on. And you know what? I'm so glad he did. I don't believe he had committed adultery or anything. And man, 10 years later, he is still preaching and writing and making a huge difference for the kingdom of God. God's not finished with you until you decide that God's finished with you. So this morning, embrace it God's way and embrace or re-embrace God today because he still has great plans for you. Let's pray. Man, if you're a Christian today, If you're a Christian today, would you 
make a commitment as a husband, a wife, as a person to receive God's forgiveness and to repent and let God reinvigorate your life. Maybe this morning you're here and you're not a Christian. Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and that you arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus, and save me this morning. Let me have your attention. Man, God loves you. This is a great day to make a fresh start. Maybe you just asked Jesus into your heart. Are you ready to do that? Would you come in a moment and let one of our ministers help you with that decision? Maybe you're here and it's time to join the church. One way you can join is just step out and come. There will be ministers down front. We can help you with that. Come join us today. Christian, maybe as a husband, as a wife, as a couple, you want to come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister. Maybe where you're standing, young person, older person, in-between person, You need to repent and get things right with God. Man, do it this morning. Let's stand and as we sing.